Pretty thankful for this, another opportunity to meet together with you at uh, McClenny Primitive Baptist Church. Have thoroughly, we have thoroughly enjoyed the song service. Uh, very thankful for the prayer that's been offered. If I could make request, I would like to ask that each one of you would, would pray for us this morning as we stand before you and uh, in hope of uh, proclaiming and declaring the righteousness of our God. Please turn with me to the book of Numbers, uh, chapter 9. The book of Numbers, chapter 9, and uh, let us consider this morning the effort of Moses in reminding the children of Israel. You know, it's been said in times past that unless we consider our past, we're, we're destined to repeat the mistakes of yesterday. It's difficult for us to know where we're going unless we meditate some on where we've been. As the children of Israel here in Numbers chapter 9 are going forward to, uh, to the land of Canaan, Moses exhorts them often in their effort in going forward by reminding them of what God had done for them, what God had taught them, and what God had given to them. Here in Numbers chapter 9, we read in verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, in the first month of the second year after they were come out to the land of Egypt, saying, It's been over one year here in Numbers chapter 9 since the Lord brought the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage and brought them across or through the Red Sea and they walked by dry land. And they had had some ups and downs. They'd had some good times and they had went through some difficult times. They'd had times that they walked close to the Lord and they had times that they walked away from the Lord and were chastened because of that. And Moses, in his effort as, as a teacher and as an instructor and as a representative of the Lord to the people, you know, it's good to remember about a prophet. A prophet represented the Lord to the people. His desire was to instruct them and them going forward, but also to remind them of their experiences in times past. You know, that's important for us here in the New Testament church. You know, there's some things in our life we don't need to look back on. There's a lot that we need to forget. You know, Jesus said there in Luke chapter 9 and verse 62, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. When we go forward in our service to the Lord and his kingdom, there are some things we do not need to look back on. It was not profitable for the children of Israel to look back on Egypt and long for the things of Egypt. It's not profitable for us in the New Testament church as we go forward to look on the things of the world that we have been entangled with in times past, and we all have, and long for those things. But it's important for us to go forward and keep our nose to the grind and run our race toward the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Bible does remind us of things that we should look back on that can benefit us in our service to the Lord. Uh, Thursday night, I think you exercised in a communion service. You know what a communion service is? It benefits us in looking back to something that happened for us on the cross of Calvary. I remember there in 1 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 12, a day that the Lord delivered the children of Israel from the mighty hands of the Philistines. They set up a, a stone there between Mizpah and Shin. They called it Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. And I hope that Every one of us here in the congregation this morning, we have Ebenezer's in our life that we can look back on to see what the Lord has done for us in times past and increases our trust and faith in Him that He would do the same as, as we 
go forward in our life here in this, this world. There in 1 Samuel chapter 30, if you remember when the Amalekites, they come and sack Ziklag. You know, David had joined himself with the Philistines. And they came and destroyed the city and took David's wives captive. And then the people, when they saw what happened, you know what they did? They turned on David. And when the folks can't find someone to blame, they'll just look to the nearest person and blame him, right? You know, there in Atlanta, we had a, uh, a bridge burned over I-85. There was a lot of mistakes that took place for that bridge to burn. But you know who they blamed it on? The poor homeless people. <laughs> we don't have a face, right? So we can blame it on him. The homeless people were there trying to warm their hands. It wasn't their fault all those chemicals were under the bridge. But we got to find someone to blame it on. So that day they, they blamed it on David. They turned on him. But you know what David did? The Bible said in verse 5, he encouraged himself in the Lord. You know what that means? David looked back on his life. And he saw that time when the Lord delivered him from a lion. He saw that time when the Lord delivered him from Paul the bear. He saw that time when he stood before Goliath. He remembered those times that he fled from Saul of Kish and the Lord delivered him. And he said, you know, this is just one of those times when the Lord can manifest his power once again. Let's load up, boys, and let's go get the goods and let's come back home. And he did. And the Bible said he recovered all. David looked back on that. Moses here in this chapter, he encourages the children of Israel to look back as they're going forward, to remember what God has taught them, to remember what God has given them as they go forward in service to the Lord. Yeah. If you would please notice with me, the first thing that Moses encourages the children of Israel to remember as they go forward is let's not forget the Passover. Notice in verse 3, In the fourteenth day of this month at even, you shall keep it in his appointed season. Verse 5, And they kept the Passover. Moses thought it was important for them to be reminded to keep that Passover. It helped them in reminding them of God's deliverance, what God had done for them in bringing them out of Egyptian bondage. And you know that Passover, as we said last night, it pointed to something greater. It pointed to what Jesus would do for us. The Bible teaches us there in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7 that Jesus, our Lord, our Christ, He's our Passover sacrifice for us. You know, in our service to the Lord in the New Testament church, as we go forward in growing in grace, and that should be our hope, that we're growing in grace, we're growing closer to the Lord, we're gaining knowledge as we go. It's the last thing that Peter said to the congregation in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. I think it was Brother Mike that quoted Elder Sonny Piles last night. I've said this about Brother Sonny. He's probably quoted more than Mark Twain. <laughs> Brother Sonny once told me, he said, you know, Brother Ronnie, You'll either grow in grace or groan in disgrace. <laughs> and that's true. We should be growing in grace. But as we're growing, we should never forget what our Passover did for us on the cross of Calvary. Yeah. You know, that's the purpose of their communion service, that we would not forget what Jesus done for us on the cross of Calvary. Did you know our mind is basically a leaking vessel? That's what the Apostle Paul mentioned there in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1. Therefore, we ought to give the most earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. The word slip here literally brings with it a definition of something drifting away. If you ever went to the lake fishing and pulled your boat up to the dock and not tie it and turn to maybe pick up your tackle box or something and then turn to step and the boat had drifted away from you, it was just ever so slowly moving away. You know, I fell in the lake doing that one day. Just right off into the water. 
And folks, you know, they were watching me. I bet they thought I was drunk on new wine. <laughs> but I went into the lake. It just it got away from me. And that's the way it is with things that we understand, the things that we've received, even in the gospel truth. It'll constantly leak away from us unless we're reminded over and over and over. That's the reason Jesus gave us that communion service, that we would be reminded. You know, there in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 15, Solomon writes that there was a little city and few men within it. And there came a great king against it and besieged it and built great bulwarks against it. Now, there was found in it, that little city, a poor little wise man. And he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no man remembered that same poor man. They forgot about this poor little wise man that delivered their city from this great king. Why? They didn't have a reminder. Something to remind them what that poor little wise man did. You know what happened to us if we're not constantly reading our Bible and participating in communion and hearing the gospel on a regular basis? We'll begin to forget about Jesus. Amen. You know what's wrong with America today? We're forgetting about Jesus. That's what's wrong with America today. When people forget about the Lord and what He's given us, eventually they will go away from the laws of God and the morals that God has given us to live by here in this world. We forget about the Lord. Moses says, be reminded of this. Keep this Passover. That you can be reminded of what the Lord has done for you. Wouldn't it be very sad if we forgot about Jesus, the one that saved us from the eternal consequence of sin? Do you believe this morning in the eternal consequence of sin? I believe in the eternal consequence of sin. I believe there is a real hell. I believe there is a real lake of fire. And unless my Lord has interceded for me, by grace, it's a place that I surely deserve by my action. But He, by His grace and giving His perfect life for me on the cross of Calvary, in my room and in my stead, He died. Instead of me having to die eternally, I have been saved from that by that work and His work alone. God forbid that I should forget about my Passover, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Several years ago, I had a person come to me after service at Mount Pier, and, and he wanted to talk to me about the effort in the pulpit. And he said, you know, Brother Ronnie, I've, I've got a complaint. He said, you preach way too much grace. And my response was, thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I didn't think I preached enough. I was worried. <laughs> I thought I stepped on everyone's toes too much. I thought I was preaching too much practice. Thank you. I said, that really warmed my heart. And I'm going to quote Elder James Isaacs. Elder James Isaacs said, I don't like to step on people's toes. If they just move them out of the way, I won't step on them. <laughs> I said, thank you. I want to preach more grace because I believe the message of grace glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. It glorifies Him and what He's done for us. And God forbid that we should grow tired of hearing that message because it reminds us of our Passover and what Jesus done for me on the cross of Calvary. And if He didn't do that for me, I have nothing. Amen. I am nothing. Amen. I'm of all men most miserable. But because of Him and what He did, I have a home in heaven that was prepared for me before the world began. And one day, because of what he done for me, I will see that home as Elder Bobby Willis sees it today. And one day I will see it in soul, body, and spirit. God help me not to forget my Passover. Amen. But Moses goes further in this chapter, something they need to be reminded of. And he reminds them of the ease of falling away from the fellowship with the Lord. If you ever notice there in verse 6, if you'll read from verse 6 through verse 13... 
Moses makes reference to those that defile themselves. That defiling is not causing them to, to cease to be a child of Israel. No, it's defiling them from the service to the Lord. They can be defiled by coming in contact with a dead body. There are some individuals that Moses confronts that were separated from the service of God because they would make a journey away from the temple and away from the tabernacle at that time. And there were some that would forbear to keep the Passover. That means they literally were idle and decided, I don't want to do this. It's beyond something that I want to do. The first person that Moses mentions there in verse 6 is that person that comes in contact with a dead body. Do you realize the children of Israel, when they were there in the wilderness, if they come in contact with death, it defiled them from their service to the Lord. And it was very easy to come in contact with death at that time. Can you just think about this small piece of property with these millions and millions of people and all of them were dying there in the wilderness? There was a time all those 20 years old and upward died in the wilderness. Their bodies, their carcasses fell. It was really easy to come in contact with death. It was really easy to maybe be plowing in a field and plow up a dead bone and touch it, and they were, they were defiled from that service. It was easy, according to Numbers chapter 20, for one to enter into a tent of another and them die while they were in that tent, or even someone come to their home in their tent and die, and it would defile them from service. You know, so it is today. It's really easy for us to get entangled with the sin of this world and separate us from fellowship with the Lord. Now, thanks be to God, there's nothing that can separate us from His eternal love. I believe in preservation of the saints. Now, I think every saint should labor to persevere. I think we should labor to endure and overcome, and there's blessings in overcoming. But thanks be to God, every child of grace is preserved in Jesus Christ. But not every child of grace enjoys the same level of fellowship because we often defile ourselves. And if we're separated from fellowship with God, it's not God's fault. It's our fault. And these people would come in contact with these dead bodies, come in contact with this, and it would defile them. How easy it is it for us to come in contact with sin in the world and get entangled with it? I mean, it's on every hand. And could I say in the year 2017, it seems like it's getting easier and easier and easier. I want to tell you, the world has made sin accessible to everyone. You know, someone says, I'm really enjoying the Internet. I can learn a lot. There's a lot of terrible things on the Internet, too. Someone says, I'm really glad that we have, you know, our telephones now. I can do anything on my telephone. There's a lot of terrible things can come through your telephone. And it can separate you from the Lord very quickly in fellowship with Him. See, our Lord is holy. Our Lord is holy. Our Lord is perfect. And God has the right, as being the sovereign ruler of this universe, to demand. To demand and require of us to be something to fellowship with Him. And so if we meet those requirements, we can fellowship with God. But we often, in our lives, we separate ourselves from that fellowship by our lives and the things that we do. You know, those in the New Testament and the Gospels that were separated from the Lord in fellowship, it wasn't the Lord's fault. It was their, their fault. They strayed away from God. And Moses here tells them, remember, it's easy. Be reminded it's easy to fall out of fellowship. He also reminds them of those that would go on a journey. You know, those that would go on a journey, they just were not mindful of the service, were they? They got something else on their mind. Yeah, he mentions there in verse 12, but the man that is clean, that's the man that's not defiled by coming in contact with death, and is not in a journey, that means some men could be on a journey. I mean, can you think about this Passover, that day drawing near, and a man say, well, I've got something I need to do over here in the wilderness, and I'm going to 
go travel over here. I got something that's more important. And he, he, he separated himself from that particular service. You know, there's a lot in this world that gets our attention. Don't you think? You know, my kids at home, they've got this little dog. He's half Jack Russell, half Beagle, and he's got a tenth of something that I don't think he knows what it is, and I don't either. <laughs> you notice that was 110%, and he is 110%. Our entire property's got a trail around it, and I want to tell you, that dog is a cold-blooded killer. <laughs> Nothing comes through our yard, not lizards, not snakes, not squirrels, not rabbits. And if he could get his hands on the German shepherd that lives down the road, he'd try to take care of him too. I mean, he's, he's 20 pounds of dynamite. You know, that dog, I can take a tennis ball, and I can throw that tennis ball until my arm falls off, and before it bounces the second time, he's got it coming back to me. And as long as he's got his mind on that tennis ball, he and I can do that and do that, but if a butterfly ever crosses his path, <laughs> it's over. The ball will lay out in the yard. Why? Something else got his attention. You know, children of God, we're like that. Sometimes things get our attention. And there's a lot in this world to get our attention. You know, last night, Brother Jimmy and I were sitting in his living room and, and talking. I felt very guilty because my mind was about halfway on that basketball game and halfway on what Jimmy was saying. I'd say, yeah, that's right, Brother Jimmy. I know Brother Jimmy was saying, you didn't hear what I said. <laughs> he was more concerned about LeBron James. <laughs> Something else gets our attention. And anyone that has kids, you know that. Sometimes things just get your attention, your mind is, have you ever talked to your kids and said, I've got something very important for you, and all of a sudden you knew they were off in la-la land thinking about something that happened that day? You know, that's that way with our service to the Lord in the church. You know, we should be faithful to the Lord. We should have our minds focused on the Lord. We should put God first in our life. But sometimes the thing in this world, it gets our attention. It could separate us. This one, he got his mind on something bigger than his service to the Lord, and it took him on a journey. And I want to tell you, when our mind... Is filled with the things of this world, it'll take you away from God. It will take you further and further away from God. It's important for us as the children of Israel here in the New Testament to often cleanse our house. You know, there in Matthew chapter 7, when Jesus went through this final lesson concerning his Sermon on the Mount, he went through the first 20 verses of this on us having a clean house. There's things in clutter we need to get out of our house. Judgmentalness, uh, we need to get... Idleness of mind out of our house. We need to also cleanse the thoughts of, and teachings of false prophets out of our house. But we also need a strong, endearing house concerning the storms of life. It's good every once in a while in your life just to have a good cleaning. And clean things out of your life that's causing your mind to be distracted from your focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Brother Jimmy took me last night up to the upstairs of his house and showed me some of the rooms said you know brother Ronnie you wouldn't believe this we used to have a lot of toys here and I said well they're not all here anymore you had a, some things removed brother Jimmy you know there at our house my little girl Sarah because when she was born you know all the grandparents were alive we got a lot of toys <laughs> and Sarah loves all of her toys you know sometimes we have this time we call it the giveaway time and I'll have a bag and that bag never has anything in it at the end of the day. I said, Sarah, I said, we, we need to have a giveaway time. She said, like Sharon and Karen? I said, yeah. I said, I think we've almost got past Sharon and Karen. We need to go to the city dump is what we need to do. We need to clean this out because it's got to a point we can't walk through it. You know, that could be the same of our lives. The clutter builds up and builds up and builds up, and it finally begins to cause us to be slow in our service to God. 
But not only did you have one on a journey, you had also one that would forbear. That's one that was idle, says, you know, I'm just, I'm just not willing to do this today. You know, that can happen to us because of the sinful nature we have. Our service to the Lord can get to a point where it's like, well, you know, I just, I'm just not going to do it today. Uh, my, my daddy used to call those people rollover Baptist. You know, we've got missionary Baptist. We've got independent Baptist. We've got primitive Baptist, progressive primitive Baptist. But you also got rollover Baptist. You know what a rollover Baptist is? It's one that wakes up on Sunday morning, rolls over, and says, well, that's amen, that's good enough today. That's a rollover Baptist. These that would forbear, that's what they were. They were rollover Baptists. It was just too much for them to do that day. And how sad it is that we, the children of God, could, could get to that point. And Moses wanted to remind them, hey, this is, this is easy for you to fall into this trap. But not only did Moses remind them of that, he also reminded them who would fall into that trap of the mercy of God. See, I need to hear about that, don't you? Yeah. Why? Because I have those moments when I, I fail God. I have those moments I'm coming short. I have those moments I look back on and say, you know what? Wow, there's a lot that I need to do today in my service to the Lord. And I need to be reminded our God is a merciful God. He's full of compassion. If you'll notice in verse 11, you have a provision that's, that's declared for the children of Israel. It's concerning that Passover. If they're not able to keep that Passover in that first month, that 17th day of the first month, which was the month of Nisan, Abib, they could wait to the next month and keep it on the 14th day. Wasn't God merciful and gracious to give them that provision? You know, God didn't have to do that, did he? But God did do that. Why? Because our God is a merciful and gracious God that's full of compassion. I think the Bible teaches us our God in heaven, yes, he's holy, he's just, but concerning his temporal dealings with his people, our God is merciful. Our God is compassionate. Our God loves his people and is willing to forgive them of their errors and give us that, that chance that we need over and over in our service to him. You remember in the days of Hezekiah? You know, when Hezekiah took the throne, the children of Israel had been on the decline for years and years. There were a lot of ungodly kings in Judah. When Hezekiah took the throne, he's one of the greatest kings in Judah's history. It was his desire to draw Israel back together in their service to the Lord, and they were going to keep that Passover. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 30, you remember there in verse 2 and 3, they were ready to keep the Passover, and the priests needed to sanctify themselves, but there was so much work to be done. Because the temple had been defiled, because the priest had been defiled, so much work to be done. They could not get it ready on that 17th day of the first month, the 14th day of the first month, rather. And they had to do it in that second month. And the Bible says the priests were ashamed. You know, when we fail God, there should be a level of shame. We shouldn't proudly fail God. We should be ashamed that we fail God. You know, the Bible says of the minister of the gospel, he should study to show himself approved unto God. A workman needeth not to be ashamed. You know, a man of God that enters in the pulpit hadn't labored in study, he could end up being ashamed before the people. When we fail God in our repentance, there should be shame that we have failed God. They were ashamed, but thanks be to God, God gave them that provision in his mercy and compassion. In that second month, they could keep that Passover. And brothers and sisters, I would like to declare to you this morning, our God in heaven is merciful. He's compassionate. And your failings of him, our Lord will still open up his arms that we can run to him. And when Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, he wasn't talking to perfect people. He was talking about sinners like you and I that can come to him and run into his arms. You hold us just as he did John who laid his hand in his bosom. Praise be to God for his mercy. Amen. 
Moses in this chapter also reminded them of God's leadership. If you'll notice with me in verse 15, this goes through the end of the chapter, Moses reminded them of the cloud that had led them all through that wilderness up to that day. It's important for us to remember that as well. How God has led us this far and how God will lead us on. And I'm just about out of time this morning. If you'd just please look at a hymn with me, and I want to get out of Brother Steve's way. I'm looking forward to hearing him, and I beg for you to pray for him as you've prayed for me this morning. I think the hymn is number 300, 384. And this hymn is, Thus Far the Lord Has Led Me On. This hymn reminds us of how God has, has led us thus far. You know, I remember being raised as a, as a son of a missionary Baptist preacher and feeling the condemnation of my sin. And God, it was God that led me. Amen. That led me and guided me Amen. home to his church. To a place where I could hear the truth and have an experiential justification in my heart yeah. and comfort in him. Yeah. It was God that, that led me to where I am today. It was God that led me to a good wife that I have and Sister Jennifer. It was God that led Jennifer and I and the two children that we have that's given us our home. It's God that's led me to have good friends like some of the pew this, this morning. And I need to be reminded how God has led me this far and that God that's brought me thus far, He's got enough power and wisdom and the eye to guide me until that day that He takes me home. Notice this hymn in verse 1. Thus far, the Lord has led me on thus far. His power prolongs my days, and every evening shall make known some fresh memorials of His grace. Much of my time has run to waste, and I perhaps am near my home, but He forgives my follies past. He gives me strength for days to come. I lay my body down to sleep. Peace is the pillow for my head, while well-appointed angels keep their watchful stations round my bed. In vain the sons of earth or hell tell me a thousand frightful things. My God in safety makes me dwell beneath the shadow of his wings. Faith in his name forbids my fear. Oh, may thy presence near depart. And in the morning make me hear the love and kindness of thy heart. Thus when the night of death shall come, my flesh shall rest beneath the ground and wake thy voice to rouse my tomb. The sweet salvation in the sound. May God richly bless you is my prayer.
We've, uh, we've thought many times about our previous time here that was so rich and so precious as you are, each of us. We've told about the God who was here the last time we were here. Many times. We've thought often about how much you must have prayed for such an event as that to occur. We've missed you. This is not my text. <clears throat> the chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of angels. The Lord is among them, as in Sinai, in the holy place. Thou hast ascended on high, thou hast led captivity captive, thou hast received gifts for men, yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them, Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation, Selah. He that is our God is the God of salvation, and unto God the Lord belong the issues from death. Apostle Paul tells us this is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 4, if you don't believe me, you can go and look it up. <clears throat> the one who gave gifts unto men, the one who ascended on high is the one who first descended into the lowest parts of the earth, according to Psalm 139. And that's who I want to talk about this morning, but I'm not going to talk about him by his name, the Lord Jesus Christ, this morning. I want to talk to you about his name that Brother Mike mentioned last night, Elohim. But not just Elohim. I want to, you know, there are many places. Brother, <laughs> Brother Mike and Brother Ronnie both have danced all around my subject this last two days and, and that's mighty fine. Don't, don't, don't think for a minute that that made me worry. It just made me feel like where I was headed was where God wanted me to be. And so when Brother Ronnie this morning quoted that we should grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ I only want to grow in the knowing of him in one way, and that's the way he wants me to know. Okay, I want him to know, I want me to know him the way he wants me to know him. I hope I said that the way I meant it. He has taught us to know him by his word. Now, he's first caused us to know him by his own special revelation. But God has revealed his presence to all mankind. Psalm 19 declares, the heavens declare the glory of God. And, and, and Paul in the first chapter of Romans declared that because of that, every man is without excuse. 
but God only reveals Himself specially to His people. Now there's a difference between the general revelation of God and the special revelation of God. And His children only, only His children know the special revelation of God. But all men know there is a God. But you say, Brother Steve, he said, the fool has said in his heart there is no God. Yeah, that's right. That's what the Bible says. And the Bible says it that way for a reason. His mind knows better. It's his evil heart, his evil wicked heart that says there's no God. His mind has been revealed. But I want to talk to you about Elohim. Now the root word of this comes from the mighty ones. In fact, if you're a Bible junkie like me and you look up things in the Hebrew and then go and look at the other places where that same Hebrew word is translated something else elsewhere, you'll find Abraham was called this same Hebrew word when he went to buy a field for Sarah, for her burial. The field of Machpelah, I believe is what it was called. And, and they said, we know that thou art a prince. And that's the same word that, that is translated ale. And it means a mighty one. Okay? So what God is revealing to him, to his people when he tells us his name is Elohim. And by the way, his names reveal so much. I mean, just think about all. Do you know that Jesus' name is the Amen? Yeah. His name is Amen. You know, when you're saying Amen, you're saying Jesus. God has revealed Himself to us, and He teaches us more about Himself. And I'm going to say this. As I have begun to study these Hebrew names of God, I've come to understand that you have to misunderstand the names of God to get your doctrine wrong about salvation. You cannot have a right understanding of God and a wrong doctrine about salvation. Amen. I'm going to tell you something. I was not raised in the Primitive Baptist Church. Okay, I didn't get to choose who my parents were, but God chose better ones than I would have picked out for myself. Okay, I didn't get to choose which church I was raised in. Okay? I was raised in falsehood and legalism, error and heresy. That's what I was raised in. But I knew it was wrong because God showed me that it was wrong. And I know that what I, and, and the more I study the names of God, the more convinced I believe primitive Baptist doctrine is the doctrine of God. It's the doctrine of the Bible. It's not our doctrine. It's God's doctrine. God was preaching election before Jesus was a preaching election. And Jesus was preaching election before the apostles were preaching election. And the apostles were preaching election before any of us 21st century fellows were preaching election. God reveals himself first to us as Elohim. And I want you to think about certain, something for a second. In the beginning, Elohim. Elohim is a plural. It's literally the mighty ones. But it's always used in connection with a singular predicate. There's a hint. There's a clue. There is one God. Amen. He told His people to remember that God is one. It's Deuteronomy 6. It's in the... It's the I can't even remember the, the name for it now, but... I want you to understand that the Bible gives credit to the Father 
for creation, and it ascribes credit to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as the Creator, and even the Holy Spirit as the Creator. That ought to be a clue about this three-in-one God. There's one God in three persons. There are many names of God that are compound names. El Olam means everlasting God. El Shaddai means God Almighty. In fact, God came to Moses and he said, By my name Jehovah, I was not known by your fathers, but by the name God Almighty, or El Shaddai, I was known. When Brother David was in Arkansas the last time, to my knowledge, the last time I saw him in Arkansas, he preached a wonderful sermon that I got to hear the next day because Mason Tillery made me a, a, D, a CD copy of it, but I didn't get to hear him preach on this. But he, he talked about how much, how important it was in Peter when he referred to him as a faithful creator. I want you to understand something. You'll find in the Old Testament when God uses, when, when, the, when the writers that the Holy Spirit inspires to write in the Old Testament, when they refer to Jehovah, it's always in a covenant sense with His people. And when He refers to Elohim, it's always in a general sense. Okay? Or, or in the sense of His power. In the sense of His uh, one of my favorite names of God is El Elyon. And I know I'm just rushing through these and you're getting the Reader's Digest version this morning, but that's okay. Sometimes that helps preachers to be under the gun from a time standpoint. El Elyon means the Most High God. And we need to remember He is the Most High. He is the Most High. I want to try to uh, preach to you. I want to go, if you would, with me to the book of Genesis. Most of the names that are found in the, in the Bible are names that God has given himself for us to know him better, to know more about him. But there are a few instances in the Bible where other people have given God a name. And this is one such instance, and it's the only instance, to my knowledge, uh, in my studies that I have found, but in Genesis chapter 16, we have a story that is, is wonderful and terrible at the same time. Okay? It's terrible because it involves a disobedience. Uh, this is a great warning against Arminianism. <laughs> it, it really is. Uh, the, the, the main, the primary message in this chapter is God does not need your help. Okay, the secondary message in this chapter is you should obey God, believe God, trust God. But there's another message, and it's a wonderful message, and if you haven't heard this message, maybe you're in for a treat this morning. But there's a message, there's a name here that is given to God by one of his children. 
And she's not a Jew. She's an Egyptian. She is a servant. This is before Sariah's name is changed to Sarah. This is before Abram's name is changed to Abraham. But we need to know, you know, names mean something in the Bible. And if you're ever going to really get a good understanding of the Bible, you've got to look up some words. You've got to find out what some words mean. You've you got to find out what some names mean Amen. to really get all there is to get. Amen. To get the goodie out of it, you really need to do a little digging. Sarai means governess. Now, the word that's used here is mistress. Now, if, if you haven't been a prolific reader all of your life, then you probably have a misunderstanding of the word mistress as it's used in this. I certainly did. Mistress here means governess. It means a noble woman who has a servant or servants. It does not mean some married guy's extra girlfriend. Okay? That's 21st century cultural misrepresentation of that word. If that was your understanding of the word, then you have a modern understanding of a word and it has nothing whatsoever to do with the word that's used in this chapter. Okay, so you need to understand that a mistress is a noble woman who has a servant. It's a, it's a rich man's wife, essentially, who has servants. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children, and she had an handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold now, Jehovah, and by the way, every time the word Lord is spelled with all capital letters. It's a translation of Jehovah. I'm just going to leave it at that. And every time it's capital L with lowercase O-R-D, it's Adonai, which is the same word as our New Testament Lord. It means master. It means boss. But it also means husband in the Adonai in the Old Testament. And often, not always. It can be husband, not necessarily, but it's always. You know, Sarah called Abraham Lord. But you know, he named her mistress, governess. He named her boss. He did. You, you, you study this back and you'll find that's the case. Behold now, Jehovah hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid, it may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. Point number one, we need to understand that Sarai was the owner of Hagar, and Hagar was hers to do with as she pleased. It pleased Sarai to give her maid to Abram to be his wife. Now, Abram's got two wives. 
Okay? Not uncommon in those days. But now, she's more than a maid, but she's still a maid. She's no longer just a maid, but she's still Sarai's mistress, or maid. Sarai is still her mistress, still her governess, still her boss. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. Now I'm going to read you the, this again with just the words of the names of the people. When Hagar saw that Hagar herself had conceived, her mistress, Sarai, was despised in her eyes. Do y'all know what despised means? Hated. She saw that she had conceived. She had a belly bump. And she hated her boss. Why? I mean, she just got a major life upgrade. She's Abram's second wife now. There's some benefits that come along with that. Why would you hate the person that just... I don't get that part of the story, so I'm going to move on. Sorry, I said unto Abram, my wrong be upon thee. Oh, she sees now that she was wrong to try to help God. She sees that she was wrong. She confesses, I'm wrong. She confesses, I'm wrong to her Lord. Brother Ronnie, what do we need to do when we find out we're wrong? We need to confess to our Lord, don't we? We need to do just what Sorry, I did. She confessed to her Lord, Abram, that she was wrong. And she said, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid into thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between me and thee. But Abram said unto Sarai, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarai dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. All right? Here's the situation. She says, My wrong be upon thee. And Abram says, It's your problem. You deal with it. She's your servant. You do whatever you want with her. That's what he said. And he was absolutely right in so doing. And when he did that, Sarai did what she felt like doing, and she had every right. She displayed her sovereignty over her maid, and she did what was completely within her rights to do. And Hagar got mad and ran away. Now, I want all of you, but especially you younger sisters in the congregation, I want you to think about this for a minute. You were a handmaid from Egypt. Now, you're a, a bondmaid up in Canaan, and that's a good fur piece by foot from Egypt. And you got a belly bump. And you were just recently married to the richest man on planet earth. 
And because you did something wrong, because you hated your master, your governess, in your eyes, and, and you let her know it, she could see it in your eyes. And then she got on to you good and hard, like she ought to have. And then your response to that was to run away into the Judean, Judean wilderness. Translation, you ran off into the desert. Because that's all that land is between Canaan and Egypt is desert. Now you're out in the desert. You got no food. You got nothing to drink. She did find a fountain. That's a place where there's so much water underneath the ground that the pressure actually causes water to come up out of the ground. We call them artesian wells back home. And you're out there, and you have no husband, no protection from beasts, no protection from marauders, raiding, bandits, thieves, etc. You have no protection from anything. Pretty scary place, isn't it? And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, sorry eyes made. You know what the first thing the Lord did was? He told her who she was and what she was. You see, she had forgotten who she was and she had forgotten what she was. She would have never responded the way she did the first time by despising Sarah in her eyes if she had not forgotten who she was and what she was. And she would have never run off into the wilderness if she had not forgotten who she was and what she was. And he said, Hagar, sorry eyes made, whence camest thou, and whither wilt thou go? Modern day English, he said, where are you going, Hagar, and what are you going to do when you get there? Now go to that place. Be Hagar for a minute. Even you men and boys, girls and women, all of you, sisters and brothers, for a moment, put yourself in Hagar's place. Here you are out in the midst of the Judean wilderness. You've found water, but you can't stay there. You, you don't have anything to carry water with you. Where are you going? And what are you going? What's your plan, Hagar? What's your plan? This is the Lord asking her. Her response doesn't sound so good. I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress and submit thyself under her hands. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shalt bear a son, and shalt call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. 
And he will be a wild man. His hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her El Roi. She called his name, Thou God seest me. This is one of the most precious stories in the Bible to me. This is the story to me that when I've made mistake after mistake, and I'm wondering, what in the world am I doing here? Why on earth did I do what I just did to get me in this place? Why on earth is this happening to me? What am I going to do now? God comes to me. And he tells me, and I cannot help but think, oh my. I understand you see Brother David. David's a sweet brother, great host, married a sweet wife, great hostess. I understand God seeing Susan. She's a great wife, great church member. I, I get that. But thou God seest me. Next to Apostle Paul, probably the chiefest of sinners. I'm a, a, associate chief of sinners. Thou God seest me. What's in a name? Have you ever thought about how important the names are? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You know how it goes from there? Can you quote that? He leads me in the paths of righteousness for what? For His name's sake. Lord, teach us to pray. When thou prayest, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy what? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. God's name is very important to Him. God's name ought to be important to us because it teaches us so much about Him. His name teaches us so much. I want to know more about the Lord. And I intend to find out more by continuing to study His names. I want to know more about the Lord because, let me tell you something for sure, absolute truth. I want to hear a chorus of amens after I say this. But I don't want you to amen unless you believe what I say. The better you know God, the more you're going to love Him. Amen. The better you know God, the more you're going to love Him. Why? Because He's holy and He's righteous and He's good and He's all-powerful and He sees you. He sees you. He sees you. And He doesn't just see you as He sees everyone. He sees you in a special covenant sense. He saw you from the foundation of the world. He saw you before you were conceived. He saw you before you were born. He sees you in heaven with Him, and He sees you here right now. Hagar, said the angel, because the Lord has heard thy affliction. Because the Lord has heard thy affliction. Why did God deliver the children of Egypt out of or the children of Israel out of Egypt? 
because he heard their afflictions. He heard their cries. He hears your prayers. He hears your cries. When all you can muster is a Lord help. God hears and he knew your need before you said, do you know where the word providence comes from? I love etymology, Brother David. I'm sorry, but I love words. I love words because they teach me about God. I love words. I love the history of words. Pro, the word providence comes from two words. Pro as in beforehand or before and video. Same, same root word where we get our current word video. What we see. You see, God sees our needs before we have needs. He sees your need before you have a need. Before you pray, He already knew what you were going to pray for because He saw your troubles before they came. God is involved in providence because he sees your needs. Do you know he could ignore your needs? He could. I probably would. <laughs> Knowing me, it, I would ignore my needs, I'm saying, not yours. But, but, but if I was God and, and he was me, <laughs> you know, and, and let me say this. Now, let me read this. Brother David quoted it this morning in, uh, in our little kitchen time this morning. And I, I loved our kitchen time, Brother David. And I, I'm looking forward to more of it. And he says, These things hast thou done, and I kept silence. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such an one as thyself. Folks, God's not like us. Thank God. Amen. Thank God God is not like us. And when we start trying to attribute to God our attributes, we get all messed up in our God thinking. Let me tell you something. Our society, like Brother Ronnie so ably put it, we've forgotten about Jesus. You know what we have forgotten? We have forgotten that he's not like us. We have much too high an opinion in this country, especially of men, and a scandalously low opinion of God. I mean scandalously low opinion of God. God is not in heaven wringing His hands hoping He can save some soul. God has done all that He pleases. He is the most high God. He is the supreme creator and the possessor of heaven and earth. He owns everything and yet God 